Could you open up to Matthew 20? We're continuing to roll along. We're moving on in this book. Someday we will finish it. Someday. I th- I'm, I'm aiming for 2030 <laughs> to finish Matthew. But Matthew 20, before we uh, jump into Matthew 20, I have noticed that over my life that there are some truths, some like either if it's an old wives' tale or just uh, things we tell each other that you have, it's like a virus, you pick it up. You don't know where you get it, but you have it. So let me, let me show you what I mean. So let's say uh, you have a pool and you, you're eating dinner and you want to go into the pool. What does your mom tell you? Wait how long? An hour or three. Why? Because you'll get cramped. You know that's not true. That's absolutely not true. Or if you want to have better eyesight, what do you need to eat? Of course, carrots. That's not true either. They're lying. Do you understand they're lying to us? Somebody is. Somebody's not telling us the truth. If I chew bubble gum and I, and I swallow it, how long is it in my stomach? Seven years. Who? That's not true either. That's just not true. When my wife and I are in Russia... We would uh, see all of the men, so a lot of men in Russia smoke, you know, they'll be smoking like that. But here's how they smoke. They smoke like this. They stand on the sidewalk and they smoke like this, you know, and they let their finger hang limp. And everywhere you go, men are on the sidewalk just kind of hanging out like this. They're just kind of hanging out, you know, and smoking usually, but they're just hanging out. And they'll talk like this. So we asked our Russian interpreter, we said, why do those guys do that? Why do they just kind of get on their hunches? And she said, because they believe if they sit on the sidewalk, they'll be infertile. They won't be able to have kids if they sit on the hard concrete. That's weird. Where do we get this stuff? But we get, it's like passed in in the breeze. And it's true in religion. Let me prove it to you. God helps those. That's not true. But we somehow... We somehow think that is like the dictate from heaven. It's interesting when people meet me, and at first they don't think I'm a pastor, then they find out I'm a pastor. They do two things. One, they stop swearing. It's, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. You offended me. No, I don't care. They stop swearing. But the second thing they say, yep, pastor, God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) Where did you get that? There's an assumption based on that. The first assumption is that God really doesn't like lazy slackers. Did you know that? Did you know that? It's kind of an assumed thing. But there's also hidden in this statement is this idea, and it's really a religious idea, that those who work the hardest for God deserve the most blessing. You want to do great things for God? You better get busy. You want to have a big house? You better work hard for God. Show up at church all the time. Tithe as much as you can. You want to be blessed? Well, you better work. You better do something about it, because man, God just doesn't give you freebies, you know what I mean? And I'm telling you, that is in the fabric of people's minds when it comes to God. And really, truthfully, there couldn't be anything further from the truth. It doesn't work like that. Not only that, God does things that don't make sense, even to the point where he will do things without even asking us, and you want to ask God, who do you think you are, God? Who 
do you think you are? Well, he's God. So he can do whatever he wants. And we're going to read a parable today that is intentionally given by Jesus to make upset the religious mind. It's meant to get us out of our, not our comfort zone, but this mentality of works-based merit. And I only get things if I'm a good guy. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read it. And we're really, we need to understand this, because this is a powerful passage. Verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've been born the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. So this is called the parable of the workers, or the vineyard, however you want it. But you need to first, before we understand it, when you read it, it it kind of is meant to make you a little mad. That's not fair. That's just not fair. So it seems like the people who were hired last, who barely worked, they're probably lazy bums, They get paid the same as the guys hired first? That's not fair. That's what it's supposed to do in your heart to provoke you. Jesus does that all the time. But you got to understand the story. Verse 1 is the key. You got to understand context. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. So God is the master. He owns the vineyard. He's the one doing the hiring. He went out early. So he went out really early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. You have to stop right there and you got to think. In that culture, people were peasants. They didn't have a lot of money. And a lot of times they were only hired for a day to get a denarius, a day's pay, a wage, so they could feed their families. If they didn't get hired, they got nothing. So what they do, they get up as early as they could, they get in the middle of town, And they would wait, probably 20 guys, probably sitting on their haunches, you know, like that. But they would wait to be hired. They needed to be hired. But before they were hired, you have to think through this. 
Number one, there was no unemployment safety net. If they weren't hired, their family went without food for the day. So the workers are thinking in their heart, I need to work so my family will eat. I need to work so my wife will eat. So they're desperate. That's the first thing you need to understand. These guys, they didn't do anything, but they're desperate. And then the, the owner, who's really rich, he comes in. He sees 20 guys there. He goes, I need four. I need four. I'll take you four. Come on, let's go. Let's go. You know what? He didn't have to hire one of them. He didn't have to hire any of them. It's not his fault they weren't working, but out of compassion and generosity, he hired them. I want you, 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 and you. Come on. So in that moment, imagine how the worker who got hired felt. Thank you, sir. I can eat today, and I'm going to work my tail off for you. Thank you. Thank you. And probably as they left, they probably looked at the, the other 16 who were left behind, suckers. <laughs> I got my pay. Too bad for you. Well, the owner comes back and later in the day, so he probably started at 6 in the morning, hiring the guys. Came back at 9 in the morning, hired some more. Said, hey, I need more guys. I'll take you, you, and you. They, they are probably pretty excited. Oh, good. My wife won't be yelling at me again another day without food. He comes back later, noon, does the same thing. So some guys have already been working six hours. But they're happy about it because they can eat. And then he probably went back to town maybe to get some duct tape at the local hardware store. I don't know why. But he comes back to town, and there's still guys sitting there. Some people read it like, yeah, they're just lazy bums sitting idle. No, nobody hired them. And they're probably in their anxiety going, oh, man. Hopefully I'll get hired tomorrow. Maybe I'll get there a little earlier tomorrow because, man, we, we need food. And so he comes back at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and he has compassion and said, I'll hire you, you, and you. They only worked for one hour. How do you think those guys felt? Well, it's payday. In the payday, the foreman comes up and he's got a bag, jingling bag with denarius in there, and he takes those guys who were hired last and he flips them a denarius, probably flicked it, landed in the palm. Look at that, a denarius. Wow, I got a whole day's pay. That's great. And the guys in the back are going, whoa, if those guys got a denarius, I worked 11 more hours. I should get at least five. Maybe, maybe 10. And they come up and they're ready. The foreman flips it. It's a single denarius. A denarius? What a ripoff. Wait. Time out a second. Time out. How was this person feeling at the very beginning of the day? If only I could be hired. Now at the end of the day, he has the right to tell the owner what to do. Isn't that arrogant? So if you look at verse 10, verse 10 reads like this. 
It says, now those, and NIV says, they, well, those who were hired, those who were hired first, that word those, put your name in there. If you've been going to church for a while, put your name in there. And he's saying, and really what he's going to do, he's going to give you three ways you have forgotten your salvation. There's three ways you can start telling that really you have lost how powerful grace is. So the purpose of this parable is really to expose our flawed human perspective. And verse 10 says, Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. I've been working hard. Don't you think I deserve a little bit more recognition? Don't you think I should have been made a deacon by now? Don't you think, you know, I've been going to this church for a long time. Don't you think you start listening to me? Don't you think God owes me a little bit more? Like a bigger house, more money, a better job? I've been praying and praying and praying. He doesn't do anything for me. I deserve something. There's a, what happens, there's this deserved expectations I should get attitude. And what that means is you've forgotten what grace is all about. Second thing is verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master. They start, they start judging his character, saying he, he's not fair. When you start saying God's not fair, why does God do this? Why does, oh, that's dangerous. That means you forgot grace. You forgot you were hired when you shouldn't have been hired in the first place. And in verse 12, saying the last work only one hour, and you've made them equal to us? Who are born the burden of the day? We're better than that. Those slackers. There's, there's a, there becomes a competitive spirit when you forget grace. That I'm a little bit better. I'm a better Christian. I, I wear a tie more than those guys wear a tie. I don't go out. And I don't. I, I don't dance where other people dance. There's this competitive spirit. The point of this parable is to expose this idea that deep lies within us is the harder I work and the more I do for God, the more reward and recognition I deserve. God owes me. What does God owe me? Nothing. Do you really believe that? And the whole parable is supposed to expose that God is actually a God of grace. Everything you have, everything you have is grace. Look at 13 to 15. But he replied to one of them, friend, look how he appeals to him, friend, listen, I chose uh, to give to this last workers I gave to you. Actually, let me go back to 13, I read 14. Friend, I am, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me, this denarius? I mean, we made a deal. Was it, wasn't the deal good? How did the deal get bad? In a way, another, another way you could say, do you remember when, um, it was in John, John 21, and Peter denied Jesus three times. If you remember that, he denied him three times, embarrassing, and in John, Jesus pulls Peter aside, I think, to reaffirm his love. He goes, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? A second time, yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. And he pulls him aside, Peter, do you love me? A third time. Lord, you know I do. Like almost like, yes, I do. 
And then he said, feed my lambs. And then Peter goes to Jesus and he points to John. He goes, what about him? And Jesus says, it's basically, it's none of your business. You follow me, Peter. I called you. You follow me. There is this, in these guys, there's this judgment of God's deal with other people. Why don't you just deal with your deal with God? That's enough. Stay out of other people's business. Did he save you? Yeah, he saved me out of hell. Then be happy. Be joyful. Quit judging. That's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of this. And the second point is that no one's cheating you. God has never, ever cheated you. Look at verse 15. Do you begrudge my generosity? We just said that he lavished on us his son. Lavished. That word lavished, the deluge of God's love, is it's amazing. It's utterly amazing. And so the way you can tell you're, you're starting to lose that amazement is you start resenting things. You deserve more. It's not fair. Grace is never deserved. Never forget what you were like before you were hired. It's, uh, it was yesterday morning, there was a men's Bible study, and somebody asked me about my testimony, and I, I really, I, I love it when people are willing to listen, you know, they really cared about my testimony, but it was able, another time for me to go back and remember again what happened to me. How often do you go back and remember what God saved you from? And there has to be a point where you say, I'm never going to get over my salvation. I am so thankful. I want you to look at it like this. So let's say, let's say we are told in this church that God wants us to jump from California to Hawaii. We line up. Put on our swimsuits. We stand on top of this cliff that's right outside of San Francisco, and we all we all take off, and we're going to jump to Hawaii. Some of us will jump a lot farther, and then start swimming, and some of us will kind of stumble and just barely barely miss falling off into the rocks. Are we proud of the guy who jumped the farthest? No, you still got to make it to Hawaii. You still got to go through the sharks, the storms. It's 2,500 miles to Hawaii. You'll never make it. Do we just look back and say, look how much farther I am than you, you slackers. <laughs> I can swim so much better than you. And then we turn back to Hawaii and a great white rips off our arms. It's great. <laughs> Sin is that ocean. Every time we have sinned, if we've ever sinned, this gulf between me and a holy God who has never sinned, whose eyes cannot look upon evil, there, I, can't, I cannot bridge that gap no matter how much I try. It's just like swimming to Hawaii. It's impossible. And not only that, storms of life come up. Satan is like a shark ready to pull us under. Man, we need help. 
We really, really need help. One of the biggest problems about Christianity is people think all the, the goal of Christianity is to swim. No, the goal is to be with God in Hawaii, in paradise, to arrive. That's the goal. And I can't get there on my own. I need help. And did you know help was given to us? Somebody bridged the gap of the ocean. It's found in verse 17 to 19. It's written in the very, like, Jesus is just going to say it, but you have to think about it. This is what was done for you so you could get across the ocean. Verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. That's the ocean. Are you ready to do that? So not only did Jesus die, but when he was on the cross, the full wrath of God for all of the sins of the world, the full forest fire that was started by Adam's spark of sin that started burning across every human that ever walked on this earth, every forest was blazed with that sin. On the cross, he died for all of that. He lavished grace at the cross that no one else could lavish. Can you do that? He's mocked, flogged, humiliated in crucifixion for you. He bridged the ocean. And if you really are Understanding what he did, there should be three responses, and only three in my mind. And the first is just gratitude, to say thank you every day in what you do, to even when you drink water, or you look at your children across the table, or you're just outside under the sun, say thank you. You don't deserve it. But Jesus, out of grace, came and he said, I want you and you and you. Second thing is have pity on the people that haven't been hired yet. You're not better than them. Look at it like this. I like to look at it like this. Let's say you go to Speedway. And as you're going to Speedway, you're coming out of Speedway and somebody's going in. But what you don't realize while you're coming out of Speedway is the person who's coming in is a blind man. He's got a white walking cane. And he dropped the white walking cane and he walks right into the door just as you're going out. And it hits you. And you open the door and you yell at the guy. You go, what's wrong with you, man? How can you be so dumb? Stupid guy. And somebody comes up to you and goes, do you know that guy's blind? The guy, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know it. 
He didn't mean to do that. Did you know people that are part of the LGBTQ, they don't mean to make you mad. They just don't know Jesus like you do. Do you know people who party and get drunk and say the Lord's name in vain aren't doing it to make Christians mad. Usually they're doing it because they've never understood salvation and what it means to have your sins redeemed through the lavish love of God. They, they have never experienced it. Instead of getting mad at them, thinking they're, they're, just, they're just there to make you mad, have some pity because you didn't really get, deserve to get hired. And I would say the third thing this should teach us is love. We do everything out of love for God and His glory. So in a sense, even though we're, we, we already arrived at Hawaii, we're already with the Savior, we've already been transported, we jump back in the water to help save people. And sometimes it takes a lot of swimming. But I shouldn't be proud of my swimming. I swim because I already have. I do things out of love for the glory of God. I don't do things because I'm better. I do things because I'm saved. This parable is meant to wake us up to, whoa, I am not better than other people. It's funny. I was asked to speak at our association's conference um, and our church association is called the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. Probably most of you guys don't know that. Probably most of you have never heard that. But our association is full of what I'd say smaller, older churches. And they asked me to, this was about five years ago, they asked me to be on the, uh, the council of pastors that have visions and dreams for how we move this association forward. And, I, and all of the guys on there, Cher got mad at me about this mad at me about this, but they were older guys, older pastors, about 60 and 70. She said, 60 and 70 is not older. It's old, share, it's older. <laughs> and <laughs> don't say your age, share, you're only 25 to me. Anyhow, I'm sitting on this board, you know, and I'm, and they're talking about, you know, the younger generation and their new music and all, they want to kind of change the church, you know. And I asked the guys, I said, do you think I'm older? They said, no, you're young, but you get it. You're young. I said, you guys don't know how old I am? I said, I'm 50 years old. I'm old for the church. I said, how old were you guys when you started being pastors at the church? They, some of them were 21, 22, 23. I said, so why won't you trust younger generations with the way they want to do church? Why do you got to take control? Because we've been there a long time. Don't they have just as much grace as you? Can't we care about their opinions too? Or do we, because we've been here longer, we're just a little bit better? They didn't like that. They didn't like they, they kicked me out of that board. I'm not on it, I'm not on it anymore. But there's a, there's a sense, even with us, it's because we've been here a long time, we really got it together. No, we still live by grace alone. We still should be grateful that I'm even saved today. And we should have pity on those that aren't. Because we're not better. We've just been chosen. 
So my, I would just say these three things need to start becoming us. Like really, we need to be more grateful. I, I do. That today is just another gift from God. That he lavished, poured out, deluged me, and I didn't deserve a drop of it. Because he's good. He's really good.